summer's coming, camp is coming. We're looking forward to what God's gonna do. Thanks for everyone here who serves our next gen, Grace Kids, middle school and high school. Get in early on summer camps. God is doing a great work in the next generation. And I truly believe the best is yet to come. And we're just seeing um, their hearts just full of God and full of love for God and receiving God's love. So it's an amazing, amazing thing. We're so grateful. Also, we have Discover Grace right now. A lot of people joining the church family. We're always excited when more people are joining the church family. I just talked to someone who moved from Virginia and they're, they're just thrilled to be here as well. Uh, we are celebrating from last weekend. I've got a couple pictures. We had 27 people. Thanks for praying for all the runners. Uh, 27 people. There's some of them right there uh, for the half marathon. And this is to together bring clean water for more kids around the world. Here are the final numbers. There were over $48,000 raised, and which is uh, incredible. And that means 970 kids now have clean water for the rest of their lives. Praise God. To God be all the glory. I know so many of you over the last six years have served, participated in this. Uh, This is a tradition for us now. And I want to give an update for the six years. Over $283,000 raised, which means that 5,676 kids now have clean water. And that's for the rest of their lives. We're so thankful. Um, yeah, there's a picture. So that's my son and I, which was a deep joy to run together. Also, uh, Ju He, she was our leader this year. Can we give it up for Ju He and for her leadership? And then there were so many who served. There's Carol Danners showing up at six in the morning. There's so many people from our church that served at the event too. It was so uplifting. And if you've ever been to a country where you see kids don't have food or clean water, that will stick with you the rest of your lives. And if you can do something about that to alleviate that, because it not only helps the child, but also the whole family. And what they go through and how many kids die because they don't have access to resources. We're able to share the love of Jesus together, partner with World Vision, which is a great partnership. And we thank God for what he's doing around the world. We wanna continue to serve Jesus together, locally, globally. This is a kingdom not of just uh, spectatorship, but of participation. As we go through this series, we want to be doing things together that make a difference in people's lives. We're up to a parable today because in the series about the kingdom of God, Jesus chooses parables to describe the kingdom of God. These parables have literal meanings, which are often straightforward, and then there's a deeper, more profound spiritual meaning. And in this parable, it's in Luke chapter 18, it's often referred to as the Pharisee and the tax collector praying. This is a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector, and what that means for us today is that there's someone who is known as being very religious and there's someone who is known as being not religious. And so the not religious person and the very religious person both come to the temple together to pray. And that's the story that Jesus uses to help us understand God's heart in God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love for us. And Jesus, thank you how you come near to us God, we pray today for the one who's come, and we thank you that you're close to the one who's brokenhearted today. God, the one who's come and is grieving and mourning, and there's loss and pain. Thank you, Jesus, that you bring comfort and you come alongside of us in our pain. We pray that this will be a safe place, God, where they can uh, grieve and receive your hope and comfort. 
God, we also pray for the one who's confused right now, feels stuck and trapped and just doesn't know how to move forward. And we pray, God, that you'd bring perseverance, that you'd bring wisdom today, and Jesus, that you make a way. We're thankful. We pray for, Lord, that you'd be close to the one who's returning to you today and has drifted and is now coming home. God, we thank you. God, we pray that you would remove religious pride in our lives and today that we would walk humbly with you, Jesus. And we're so grateful to be here together with you. We pray in your name, amen. Jesus calls out religious pride. Jesus has a passion for what is true and Jesus has a passion for what is false. There are things in this world that are true and there is falsehood in this world. And Jesus cuts through the confusion and he brings clarity. Now, I remember when I was a student, uh, I kind of liked some broad answers, essay, paragraph answers, because I knew I would get partial credit. But I felt a little more pressure when it was either multiple choice or true false. Now, multiple choice, if you don't know the answer, is more difficult, because now your percentages go down. But with true and false, it's, you know, 50-50, and there is truth, there is falsehood. If you take a true-false test and you come up to your teacher afterwards, you can't say, well, I don't know. It's really subjective. The teacher's not gonna roll with that because there's a lot of things in this world that are either true or they're false. And in our culture today, we wanna say, redefine true and false. It's just whatever you feel or identify with is true and false. But Jesus is very clear. He is the truth. He always speaks truth. And it's very important in life to know the difference between what's true and what's false. There is good and there is evil. There is light and there is darkness. There is truth and there is falsehood. And Jesus is gonna cut through all the religious layers to get to the heart of the matter in this parable. And when we think about all the different aspects of truth, none of us are gonna change truth. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the truth. No one can stop that truth. Jesus Christ died for our sins and he's risen. The resurrection is real. That's truth. Jesus Christ is gonna return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he's gonna lead, rule, and reign for eternity. Jesus leads a kingdom that's indestructible. See, all these are true and you can either jam and try to take down truth or you embrace truth. And the key truth that we wanna hone in on today with the kingdom of God is that God humbles the haughty and he lifts the lowly. This is truth in what God does. He humbles the haughty and he lifts up the lowly. Turn to the person next to you and say, God humbles the haughty and lifts up the lowly. Maybe you've never said that before, but that's a good thing to know. That's a good thing to say right there. We need to make some distinctions as we start out because we have words in English that have two different meanings and can go two different directions. And some of these words include boasting. Boasting is negative and wrong. When people boast about their wisdom, their strength, and their riches, the Bible says, do not boast about those things. But boasting in another sense, boasting in the Lord can be good. When you start to tell people about the goodness of God and who God is and what God's done, and you tell them your story about how God changed your life, you're giving glory to God. And in that sense, boast about the Lord. Well, there's another word, and it's judge. 
Sometimes in our culture, we always think it's negative to judge. Well, it is negative if you think you're better than other people and with an elite attitude looking down upon others, you judge them. That's wrong. But we need judges who make good decisions in our culture. And in the church, God makes it clear. In the Bible, lays it out. We need to judge. We need to have accountability and standards in the church. And so to do that, judging, making good decisions, good judgments, important for the health of the body. Pride's another one. Pride, when we're full of ourselves, is wrong. But we can have pride, meaning I'm proud in You know, I'm proud, like my son brings me pride, meaning there's joy, there's enjoyment, there's gratitude for what God's doing in someone else's life. And you kind of take pride in that in a very positive sense. Paul took pride in the different people that he ministered to and in their growth in the Lord, not in a boastful sense. It's all glory to God, but acknowledging what God's doing and appreciating that and savoring that. When we talk about religious pride today, I want to be very clear. There's nothing positive in religious pride. It is arrogance. It's an illusion of self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. And it has a lot of superiority in it. And all of that is wrapped in this shell that is religious, this veneer that is fake, this outward layer of religion that fools and impresses other people. But in the heart of it, it is arrogance and it is religious pride. And Jesus saw that. That's who he's talking to. So he goes after that. He doesn't mince words in this parable. He's going to shake up a lot of people and their perceptions about religion as he brings this parable. God humbles the haughty and he lifts up the lowly. This is a parable about Jesus versus religious pride. That's what this story is about. Jesus is direct and clear with his tone. He so often is. He's tender and he's tough. He's full of love and truth. And we're gonna take a look at three signs of pride, religious pride. The first one is carrying a lofty sense of entitlement, rationalized by achievement, with a performance-based identity. People who have religious pride, they're performance-based at the core, which isn't right, and they think about all their achievements, and then it leads to a sense of entitlement. And Jesus is gonna unpack this, and he's gonna really help us, and he shatters the religious pride in our lives, because we don't wanna be carrying religious pride. Here's the context, Luke 18, verse nine. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and they looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Never let what you do define you. Who you are is not what you do. And these Pharisees, they saw themselves as righteous because of their performance and they had a false righteousness and then they had a boasting that came with it. Now, we live in a culture that's obsessed with performance, and we so quickly ask people, what do you do? And we start to measure people by what they do. We start to think, well, how impressive is your job? How important is your job? How well do you do it? How long have you been doing it? What sort of experience do you have? And we start to do all this measuring based on what people do. And the same thing is true in a religious sense as well. If you go down that road, it's a very shallow existence. It is a roller coaster ride, performance-based identity of being inflated and then deflated, pride and then shame. Your identity was never meant to be attached to anything that you do. 
Your deepest identity is that you are a daughter or a son of the living God. And you didn't earn that, 0% earned. It is a gift from God through Jesus Christ. You are a new creation. You're in God's family forever. Your deepest identity is a gift and receive that grace that's not through performance or you'll be stressed out and trying to impress people your entire life. Receive his grace. The Pharisees didn't get this. They just tried to stack up their performances and the morality and everything else they could muster to create a fake righteousness and an identity. You see, for over 2,000 years, it was then, it continues today, there's been this push in religious circles to try to find an identity and a righteousness either through a position, through behaviors, through a title, this institutional identity, and all of it denominational. All of it is messed up because our identity is not performance-based. And people who go down that road start to push down other people so they feel better about themselves. You will push down someone else, and sometimes it's unintentional, just so you can feel a little more righteous about yourself. Because if you're looking down upon someone else, that lofts you up a little higher. And Jesus was talking to a very lofty group when he brings this parable. They had pushed other people down. They had brought themselves up. The truth is, if you think you're above someone else, you're not spiritually healthy, you're spiritually sick. If you think you're above anybody else, you're not spiritually healthy, you're spiritually sick. It is a sin to think that you're above other people because of your age, your race, your financial situation, your job, your resume, your nationality, your education, your social skills, your politics, your intelligence, your knowledge, or your experience. If you're looking down upon anyone today, repent of that sin because we're truly not above anyone on any of those elements. It's not righteous, it's sick. Jesus was in the middle of it and it was happening in the temple. It was happening with the religious leaders. That was the environment and he couldn't stay quiet any longer. Sadly, think about how many people are seeking God and they step into an environment where they think God's name's on it. These people love God. And what do they bump into? They bump into religious pride. They bump into it and they think, I don't want this. Well, they're right in a sense. Jesus doesn't want it either. (laughs) And so they step back and they kind of wonder, well, then where can I go to connect with the community of faith? Well, then what is God really like? Because where I'm going, I see religious pride in the people that day who were seeking God. They went to the Pharisees. They went to the temple. There's not much that smells worse than religious pride. There's not much that looks worse than religious pride. There's not much that tastes worse than religious pride. And if you've ever had a taste or a whiff of it, before, you know exactly what Jesus is dealing with in this parable right here. And again, Jesus is going to come very direct with his tone. And when you think of uh, Harry Drummond's words, he said, how many prodigals are kept out of the kingdom of God by the unlovely characters who profess to be inside? Just think of how sad that is when people are coming to seek God and they got a whole bunch of Pharisees just oozing religious pride. Larry Osborne wrote a book called The Accidental Pharisee because nobody says, oh, I want to be like a Pharisee. That's my goal. It's almost always accidental. 
And he's talking about how pride leads to quarrels. The Bible's very clear. Pride leads to quarrels. And that's in the book of Proverbs. And he unpacks it in this paragraph. He says, I'm not talking about overlooking heresy or embracing a different gospel or ignoring high-handed sin. He's making it very clear it's not what he's talking about. But I am talking about agreeing to disagree on things we feel passionate about. Otherwise, being right will become more important than being kind, gracious, and loving. Our spiritual comparisons are also incredibly biased. We have an amazing ability to compare things in a way that causes us to come out on top. It's hard not to look down upon people who don't measure up. Bear with one another in love is more than a cliche or a verse to memorize. It's a command to obey. It means working out real and deep differences. We can always find a way to get along. We can always find a way to pick a fight. The choice has huge ramifications for us and for the people we hope to reach for Christ. They are not too likely to listen when we are beating each other up. And Jesus, seeing pride, religious pride, in the damage that it was causing, gives a call in this parable towards humility. It's an important call that we wanna listen to today. John the Baptist in John 3, 27 said a man or woman can only receive what's given to them from heaven. And in John 3.30, may Jesus increase and may we decrease. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament described God this way. And these are powerful words that remind us how God comes near to us when we humble ourselves. For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. There it again, uh, God lifts up the lowly and he humbles the haughty. In the kingdom of God, down is up. The Pharisees are trying to lift themselves above everyone else and they will go down. But when you humble yourself, God will lift you up. Down is up. Let's say that together. Down is up. That's the kingdom that Jesus leads. Down is up. Now, here's the second aspect of religious pride. Being over-focused on yourself and not even realizing it. Being over-focused on yourself and not even realizing it. We see it in the prayer. Now, in verse 10, Luke chapter 18, verse 10, Jesus tells the story, two men, they went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I've got. Just because you pray doesn't mean you're humble. Just because you pray a lot doesn't mean you're humble. The Pharisees were known for praying prayers. They were known for having the theologically excellent prayers. They were known for being eloquent in prayer. They quoted the Bible and their prayers more than the other people. They prayed more and they prayed more often. And if you asked anyone who knows how to pray, they would say the Pharisees. Just because you pray or pray long or pray often or quote the, quote the Bible more does not mean that you're humble. 
You can pray a lot and not be humble. And that was the Pharisee in this passage. Now, they were in a place in the temple where people would come to pray. They had scheduled times of prayer and people would gather. There were private times where people would just show up and wanna pray. We were in New York City recently and we were able to step into different churches. I thought it was interesting, churches were open. And as we stepped in different churches, there was incredible architecture. I've got a couple pictures here. And you know, just stepping in and you know, hundreds of years old and seeing some of the, the beauty is inspiring. And then uh, here's another picture, uh, stepping in to these um, places of prayer where there would be services happening. And then also people would just come in during the day to pray. And what was interesting, and I had never been in an environment like this before, where there would be a service happening, and then there might be another 100 people who are just passing through. And, and they're taking pictures and talking and checking things out while the service is going. Can you imagine right now if we just had like 100 people walking around, taking pictures? Like some of you just might start to judge some people in not the best way, right? Uh, but it might feel irreverent. I don't know New York. I haven't spent a lot of time there. But I've never been in a service before where there's just a lot of people talking and taking pictures and other people worshiping and praying. And there's a whole bunch of different things happening in the same place. Well, there's a whole bunch of different things happening in this room at the same time. God knows everyone's heart and he knows where there's religious junk and he knows where there's a humble spirit. He knows who's trying to impress and who's just trying to seek God. He knows everyone's heart. He's not fooled by anyone. The Pharisees can fool a lot of people, but they can't fool Jesus. You can fool everyone in the room, but you can't fool Jesus. And just because you pray a lot doesn't mean you're humble. And they stood up. Some people were standing up then because standing up and lifting hands meant I'm giving God all my praise and I'm surrendering. But there were other people who stood up because they wanted to be seen and noticed and look a little bit spiritual. Just like there's some people who remain seated and they'll keep their hands down and they're just humbly seeking God and they're going deep with God. And there's other people who remain seated and their hands are down and they're just kind of distracted and they're spiritually not very vibrant. See, you don't know if someone's hands are up or down, where their hearts are at, and you probably don't need to waste a lot of time during a service guessing about who's really worshiping and where their hearts are at. What's important is that in your heart, you're seeking God and here we have standing lifting up of hands, and then we have a prayer. Uh, There's a lot of religious pride that is subtly kind of sneaky. It's tucked in a whole bunch of spiritual language. And it sounds like a prayer, but really it's a whole bunch of congratulate me. (laughs) It sounds like a prayer. There's a lot of I in this prayer. What's in the prayer? I fast twice a week. Well, God already knows that, okay? You don't need to declare that to everyone else. Is fasting good? Absolutely. It's great to fast twice a week, Uh, Mondays and Thursdays for this Pharisee. There's a lot of people who don't fast, like they're just missing out. It's spiritual power when you fast. He's like, I fast twice a week. That's a good thing. But you probably don't need to announce that in your prayer. And where's your heart? And then tithing. Tithing means you give God a tenth. You give God off the top. Well, this one says, I tithe, not just with my paycheck and what I earn, but I tithe with anything I receive. 
Anything the Lord provides, I'm gonna tithe with that. Again, he's going beyond what some other people do in terms of their actions and announcing it. There are people who, when they're generous, they want to announce it. And all of us, if we're honest, we like acknowledgement, we like appreciation, we like a little bit of positive attention, all of us do, but the Bible says don't let your right hand you know, even know with your left hand when you're generous, don't do it for human attention and rewards. Some people give and they kind of are expecting, well, there's probably gonna be a room with my name on it or a lobby. Uh, uh, there's probably gonna be a plaque on a chair with my name on it. There's no names around here. There's no plaques on chairs. There's no names in lobbies for people who have given a lot. That's not what we're doing here. You don't know what other people give. It's unto the Lord. And that's the right spirit. The schools I've graduated from have alumni magazines. And when I open it up, there are pages of donors. I'm not saying it's wrong to list a donor, but... There are pages of donors and there are different levels based on different amounts and different classes and you see how much everyone gave. Why do they do that? Because it works. <laughs> donors like to see their names on the high levels and have their classmates notice how much they've given and that creates more giving because why? You're giving attention to people who want attention. It's easy to bow down to donors and say, hey, how can we make a big deal about you? but I don't think Jesus wants plaques in hallways and us to acknowledge levels of donors in the church. It comes from a heart of generosity because all the Lord's done for us and it's unto God. And so religious pride is evident with the Pharisee. He even says it out loud. I would guess most of the people in this room have been around a church setting long enough and are savvy enough to realize it's not a good idea to say it out loud. So what do we do that spiritually we think acceptable? We say it quietly in our hearts, but we don't say it out loud because we're smart enough to not say it out loud. So what does religious pride look like? It's in your heart with the attitude, well, I've been going to church longer than a lot of people in the room. I'm a bigger giver and more generous. I pray more than most people. I know the Bible better. My theology is so much better. I have an official role that a lot of people just don't have. I'm also kind of a church expert. People don't know that, but I'm really a church expert and a lot of people here aren't. In every political environment, I always vote the right way. Every single vote is exactly from heaven. You know, I haven't sworn in almost 15 years. I'm a little deeper with God than people on my row. Uh, I kind of have it together. Most people here don't. Oh, and I'm the most humble. I know that sounds a little ironic, but I'm just trying to you know, honor God with truth. I am the most humble here. My opinions are a little more accurate and, and they're just a little more spiritual. I've never been in jail, never been arrested. I have a lot of awards and skills. I have a really good religious resume. My common sense is better. It's so much better. I don't know why more people in this room don't have common sense. My driving's even a lot better than most people here. I've seen them leave the parking lot. Oh, in our family? Oh, what a heritage and legacy we have in our family. Some people here have like broken families. Like, I don't have that. Do you see what happens in the heart that sinful and it all leads to religious pride it's a sickness that's so subtle and silent Jesus sees it he's not going to let it stay silent anymore 
What's interesting is the actions for the Pharisee are good. It's good to pray. It's good to fast. It's good to give. There is nothing wrong with the actions. The actions are above reproach. The whole thing is with the attitude. And religious people love to check the boxes on the actions and then try to rationalize the attitude. Attitude is a really big deal in the kingdom of God. I know it's not as tangible and obvious as actions. It's a really big deal. God looks at the heart and the attitude when it comes to righteousness. And even if you pile on a bunch of right actions and the attitude's off, Jesus sees it, talks about it. An attitude of religious pride. Just because you pray doesn't mean you're humble. We need to humble ourselves before God. I think that's the main application today. We need to humble ourselves before God. I'm so encouraged by what I see happening in different settings and places. People who love God, humbling themselves before God, praying, uniting in prayer. Do you know this last week we had the National Day of Prayer? For 71 years in our nation, our leadership, every single political leader has said the National Day of Prayer is a day where America needs to turn to God in prayer. Our leaders are exhorting us, pray, pray for our country. America's at a crossroads. America's struggling spiritually, struggling morally. America needs a turnaround. So you know what? Last Thursday, our leaders are saying, turn to God in prayer. Not only does the Bible say that, our leaders, our political leaders are saying, please turn to God in prayer. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, for the pastors in Auburn and uniting together. There's about 10 churches represented praying together for Auburn. I'm grateful for there are people who have been praying for years and it's 100 days of prayer. It starts in May and 100 days of prayer, praying for the sound, doing with a humble heart, doing united for the next 100 days, praying for the sound. Maybe you don't know this, but there's uh, over a million people who this month are gonna fast and pray for 21 days for Israel. And I'm not saying Israel is better than other countries, but when you look in the Bible, it says pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And, and you look at the different covenants and the place in Israel and the end times and so forth. And so for such a time as this, that number keeps growing, but people sensing that we need to pray for Israel right now. There's a lot of things we can pray for, but the key is that you do it with a humble heart and then you unite and pray and seek God. What America needs today and the healing America needs today, it'll begin when God's people humble themselves and turn from their religious pride, turn from their sin. God will hear from heaven and heal the land. Well, here's another indicator of religious pride. It's seeing confession as not very necessary for you. You know, during this message, you've already thought of five people that need to start confessing. <laughs> but now it's time to think about yourself. And in verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus will bring a contrast between the Pharisee who's at the center of the temple and then we have the tax collector who's over in the corner. There's the Pharisee who has a lack of awareness of his sins and therefore a lack of admission of sin. 
Where there's a lack of confession, there's either religious pride or there's an unawareness of the sin in our lives. And then on the flip side, there's the Pharisee, honest, owning his sins, responsible. And Jesus Christ has come to die for our sins. Propitiation is one important word. And here's a couple of verses from 1 John. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Anyone who put their trust in him, you receive the full forgiveness of sins. From the book of Hebrews, we read this. For this reason, he had to be made like them, Jesus, made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Atonement, at one minute, means that we have peace with God, we are forgiven. Propitiation means a pleasing sacrifice, a satisfactory sacrifice. Our holy God, who is the standard, not one to another, but unto a holy God we've all sinned. He has a wrath, he is just, he is holy. The only payment for sin is Jesus Christ dying on a cross for our sins, and it's through faith alone in Christ alone. That's the message of scripture. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, It's time to put your trust in Jesus. Your sins are on you or they're on the Lord. It's time to put your faith in the Lord. Be born again. And if you know Jesus, and listen, the only way to be close with Jesus is to confess those sins because that's gonna determine the quality and closeness of your relationship with God. You're always gonna be in God's family, but your relationship might not be that close and that good if there's a bunch of unconfessed sins there. And when it comes to sin, the two dangers are either denial of sin or over-focusing on sin. And so for those filled with pride today who are denying sin, Jesus comes clear and strong that it's time to repent. But there are also many in the room who are holding on to shame and guilt that don't need to hold on anymore. And that's the tender forgiveness of Jesus. You see, those who deny sin and those who dwell on their shame, it's too focused on yourself in both cases. But one is one of pride and one is this very kind of sick version of humility. The devil's an accuser and wants to hold you there. So don't be in denial of sin. Don't dwell on your your shame and your guilt because Jesus frees you from that. In both cases, Jesus sets us free. Jesus sets us free. And ultimately, he destroys the power of sin, the presence of sin, and the penalty of sin. And that's who our Savior is. That's a propitiation. That's the gospel. That's the good news. At the core of the gospel is mercy. We don't get what we deserve. Jesus Christ took it all, and we receive his grace. Say, well, then why would we ever walk in pride? I mean, if we're forgiven by grace, why would we go back to religious pride? And religious pride blocks learning, it blocks growing, it blocks unity, it blocks vision, it blocks God's power in our life, it blocked the miracles that Jesus was doing in scripture, it blocks our compassion for other people and our understanding. If you hold on to religious pride, you will be distanced from Jesus in an unnecessary way, you'll have strife with people, and you will not have the shalom of God because the religious pride blocks it every time, every time. Jesus has come to set us free. And here's, here's the summary. Jesus leads a kingdom of humility. That's the only kingdom. It's a kingdom of humility. And the only way to walk closely with Jesus is to humble yourself daily and repeatedly. 
not just once a day, but repeatedly. Here comes another situation. Here comes another conversation, okay? I'm gonna choose the humble path here. I'm gonna choose the humble path. Luke chapter 13, verse 30, Jesus says, indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. The perception in the room is that the Pharisees first. Knows the Bible, talks about God all the time. Such a position he holds. Everything's impressive on the outside. The religious veneer looks so good. And if you asked in that room, as the two are praying, who's first? You know what the vote is around the room? Pharisee or tax collector, who's first? Pharisee, 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 Pharisee. And the whole room concludes, the Pharisee's first. The Pharisee appears to be first. And then who's last? Tax collector. I can barely believe they let him in the room. He doesn't even deserve to be here. He's definitely last. And Jesus says, oh, the first will be last and the last will be first. You see, there's some things that appear in this world and the kingdom is the exact opposite. Jesus loves to bring a strong contrast and the whole culture is going one way and he says, not at all. You're all completely wrong. It's this way. He'll bring a contrast and then a surprise. Contrast and then a surprise. Religious exterior and resume, you think first? Jesus says, no, absolutely last. Don't think the Pharisees missed that one. They want to kill them. Tax collectors, prostitutes, you know, adulterers, the grace of God, with a humble heart and repent, first. That's what he just landed on a crowd that thought themselves as self-righteous. Those are fighting words. He didn't mince his words. And we hear that in 1 Peter chapter 5 says this. This is how the kingdom works. God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. That means you're going up against God when you have religious pride. You're going directly up against God. You're saying, God, bring this. It's on, God. It's you and me. But he shows favor to the humble. Here's our application. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And we hear that in part of us, it resonates and we wanna say amen. And then there's another part of us that's like, God, won't you just let me hold on to a little bit of pride? Just a little bit of religious pride. I mean, I've been snacking on this meal for a long time and it's just hard to give it all up. Can I just keep a couple morsels of religious pride? God, can I just fool people a little bit longer? Can I just talk and look in such a way that people think I'm actually more religious and spiritual than I am? Because it just kind of feels good when people look up to me and they think I'm so spiritual. It just feels good when people look over with respect and they see how devoted and the reputation of my good deeds. And it just feels so good to be seen and noticed. God, couldn't they look up to me? God, couldn't I play religious games just for 2023? I mean, 2024, we'll get rid of them, but can I just play a couple more religious games with you, Jesus, for the rest of this year? Can I just do that a little longer? Do you really have to call out my religious pride, Jesus? Gordon and Gladys Dupree say, has God's face ever been on a coin? We are the coin that bears the living likeness of God. Giving of ourselves with whatever that may include is the only legal currency 
of the kingdom of heaven. You are God's greatest representative and ambassador on this earth. You are a member of God's eternal kingdom. You are a citizen of heaven. And the way you glorify God is through humility and through serving because down is up. Jesus is calling us to an uncomfortable humility, an uncomfortable humility. When he washed the disciples' feet, it didn't feel good for Peter to have Jesus wash his feet. He said, no, could, could you stay away? Because it doesn't feel good when God comes near to our unclean areas of our lives. It doesn't feel good to have God come up close to that, to cleanse with love, with truth, to purify. And we wanna say no. It, it feels a little intimidating to have the savior of the world down there washing your feet. It feels a little bit humbling to see that the perfect Messiah is murdered and lays down his life on a cross and bleeds for us. It's a little humbling to receive that grace knowing that we didn't contribute anything. It's a whole bunch of humility to receive that and let Jesus wash your feet and be transparent, and be real, and take off the phony religious junk and language on the outside, and let him come in and renew the heart and cleanse in the deep places that have been hidden for so long. It's a little uncomfortable with that kind of transparency and raw humility, and then it's uncomfortable to go be humble and serve other people and sacrifice and go underneath, and then here it comes again. I could be on top, but he calls me to come underneath again. It's uncomfortable to keep serving people in humility. It's uncomfortable, but for the grace of God, we worship a humble savior who leads the most humble kingdom. And there'll never be another savior. There'll never be another kingdom. God will always oppose the proud, always give grace to the humble. He will always, for those who want to exalt themselves, he will humble them. And those who humble themselves, he will honor. This will never change. So the choice in worship is ours. And it's not just this room or this hour. It's not just in Bible study and life groups. It's all the other hours of the week. And so our decision in worship right now is to humble ourselves before God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior, it's time to make the decision to follow the Lord and receive his grace. He died for your sins. He's risen. You're born again in a new creation when you make that decision. There's no more important decision just stop being religious. And this is a relationship with Jesus that's faith in Christ alone. May God search our hearts right now. May God search our hearts. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Humble ourselves before God. Just take this silence right now. Turn from sin. It's probably the attitude more than the actions. You might have some actions to confess. It's probably much more the attitude, probably much more the attitude, layers, crusty, pride. Let God do what God wants to do today. Don't miss this moment with Jesus. Let's humble ourselves before God. Let's humble ourselves before God.